Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. We've got a new book, Pages from the Pizza Crows, but we have a returning guest, indie author, author of The Trinity of Heroes, first book in the I Will Protect You saga. You can pick it up on Amazon. Showing Le- it off. Legit indie author here. We're going to be covering an indie author book, Pages of the Pizza Crows. Justin Mason, how are you doing, bro? Dan, I'm doing great, and I just got to ask, how does it feel to do that intro again, brother? It's like riding a bike, my man. Damn, damn right it is, dude. Damn right it is. So, so we are taking a look at pages from the Pizza Crows, and um, let, yeah. So this is written. Um, this is written by Evan Whitmer, and I just kind of want to go over this cover, dude. This is a banging cover. Yeah, minimalist. Banger, what do you feel about it? I, I thought the same thing when I looked at it. I was like, yeah, this is kind of a minimalist approach, a bit pretentious, but uh, <laughs> it's it, it's it's good. It it conveys it, it conveys a lot, and it also makes you have questions. Like I look at it, I'm like, what the hell is a pizza crow? It's like, and it's like you're not giving me much. You kind of keep it. You kind of basically forcing me to read your book. So for the listeners, yeah. So for the listeners, what we have here is just a plain white book cover for the re- for the record, being pretentious is not always a bad thing. It is not. It is not. Uh, if you do it right. And yeah. I think he nailed it because this is. Definitely. It, it's. We'll get into it a little bit more about why I also think some of it is pretentious. But the the front cover is just plain white. The whole back front cover is plain white. You got a square kind of like a uh, Andy Warhol-esque black square, black border square. Inside is yellow with red polka dots. So we're getting kind of a pizza vibe. And then you've got a silhouette of a crow flying with a pizza slice. And it says you know pages from the pizza crows. You know what's funny is it just looks like a giant square cheese pizza with pepperoni on it with the kind of like a silhouette of a crow and a pizza slice. You know, I thought it was a fish at first until I read the title, which is directly underneath it. But, <laughs> but you know, brave choice. He doesn't put his name on the front. I noticed What's that up too, with yeah. that? Pretentious. Okay. And well, let's add to that. On the spine, <laughs> it says pages from the Pizza Crows, Scrito a perputu, Perpetuato de Evan Whitmer. That is Italian for written uh, and perpetuated by Evan Whitmer, which is a written and perpetuated is just a phrase people say like the, the Democrats have written and perpetuated this, you know, that kind of thing. This, this bill. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the back, we have an awesome blurb. Uh, one blurb for each uh, of the 10 stories that are inside this book. And at the very end, uh, today we're going to be covering in depth the story Bedfellows. And this one says, follow the story of a boy and a girl who are attached at the hip by supernatural means. So it gives you just a little taste. And at the very bottom, he says, I haven't read any of them myself, so I can't really say whether they're any good. But flip back over to that sweet front cover and let that do all the talking. <laughs> Here's the thing. Now, when you when you do a back jacket for a book, when you do like a it's kind of like basically a sales pitch and here instead of being like so and so, brave the demonic world yep. of uh whatever the hell. It's just like literally a synopsis of different chapters and it's like i like like it. What, what do we got here one two ten. three four five. bunch of different chapter synopsises chances are one of those 10 is going to catch your attention yes so it's going to make you want to read something in this book 
I like how he did that. That was well done. I do too. And it leaves you with questions. It's like, is the person writing that on the back, is that the writer or is that the narrator or what? You know what I mean? It leaves you with questions. You, you got to open it up. You need to be able to get into your character's head. You do. You really do. Uh, when you told me, when you told me what this was, right, you kind of gave me a little synopsis of it before you sent me the book. He said, you know, he reached out to us, wanted us to review the book. He says, about a guy who leaves a pizza, the crow comes and gets it, brings up these little things. I was like, it immediately reminded me of that mechanic from Dark Souls hmm. where you go to the crow's nest and leave an item. And if you reload the game, you load back in and the crow will have bought you a different item in exchange. Oh, see, I, I was immediately thinking... was reminded of that gameplay mechanic from Dark Souls. So what it reminded me of is like it's. This is this is a collection of short stories from his website called oddfiction.com. And this is okay. the first collection that he put together. All his odd fiction is available for free online at his website until he puts it into a book. This is the first book in the odd fiction series. There's two books out currently. Uh, nice. When we were reached out, there was only this one. Uh, reached out to, the, there was only this one. And well, to be fair, we were reached out to what, last year? Last year, yeah. But, you know, uh, hashtag pandemic 2020, <laughs> we're regular people. And when we can do it, we can do it. I'm sorry, Evan, that it took so long, but uh, it it is a worth worth a read. We'll, we'll get into it. What? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, odd fiction. Uh, spoiler alert. This is actually worth a read. Yeah, it is. And it's weird. Speaking of weird. So odd fiction is I like I guess I have a question for Evan on that one. Like, is that just his? Is that his like? Is that your jam, bro? Is is that his? Is he making a new type of fiction, or is it like connected to weird fiction, which is like what it what this the crows reminded me of, which was like Edgar Allan Poe, Telltale Heart, kind of tap tap tapping at the door. You know what I mean? I thought it was like a nod back to Edgar Allan Poe being part of weird fiction and stuff like that. You know? Let's do it. Are we gonna are we gonna do Pizza Crow one or are we just gonna jump right into Bedfellows? I feel like we're we gonna do Pizza Crow one and Bedfellows. And the, the way that this story good. is, it's so good in that it's really weird, but every story by the end of it, you get spoiled. So it's like one of those it's like watching like um a horror movie or a thriller. Once you read it once, like it would be fun to read again knowing what you know, but like we're gonna spoil this for you, just so you know. The first chapter. It it has it has a solid. It has a solid con- conclusion, and we are we are gonna spoil this first one. But the way that the story is, it's one of those where you kind of want to uh, experience for yourself. So we're gonna go through this, and then we'll probably do a review video of the whole thing. But uh, the book layout, yep. how the layout of the Pizza Crows is, is uh, he uses something called a frame story to link all the ten chapters, kind of like The Witcher, where he uses a frame. I was I was literally just It's exactly say that. the same concept where he uses this idea of the the boy who makes a connection with a crow as the kind of interlude in between each chapter and each each chapter gets ramped up with the different ingredients on the pizzas and whatever that he he gives the crows and you get different stories. Okay, that being said, let's jump right into it. And we're starting with the frame chapter called Pizza Crow 1. Summary I have a bad habit of leaving my window open in the middle of the night. I suppose it comes from living in a hot room in Florida suburbs for the first 20 years of my life. But now I'm an adult and I live in a bad area. I really should be more careful. 
Luckily, I haven't had any break. I haven't had a break in by an actual person, but I did wake up one morning to find a crow had found access to my room. He was pecking at my desk, trying to pick up the leftovers from a s'mores pop tart I'd left out overnight. I don't eat the edges. They taste too dry. I wasn't really scared of the crow, since it didn't seem agitated or diseased. I figured if I just ignored him, he'd run out with the scraps and just leave on his own accord. I was right to an extent. The crow left, but unexpectedly, he would return several, several hours later. I thought perhaps he wanted more food, but to my surprise, he instead dropped a small gift on my windowsill before quickly departing. Upon closer inspection, it was a gold wedding band with the word irreplaceable engraved along the side in Old English cursive. My thought was that this bird was paying me for the meal, and as a struggling 20-something, I immediately began to imagine how I could profit from this. If I kept pawning the rings the crow brought me, I could start a second income with just parts of my breakfast without any frosting. It seemed genius. So that's the start of the story. What did you think about that opening? Here's the thing. I, I told you at the start, immediately I get that feeling of like the Dark Soulsian exchange right bring an item get an item and <clears throat> i already have this thought in my head that we're in uh i don't know if fantasy is right i think odd setting odd mm -hmm. world is very appropriate for this so it immediately sets the tone for what i should expect from what's coming up so that does this it services the rest of the book very well by putting me in the proper mindset. We talked about Ari Salvatore in The Sword of Bedwear and how well he does that. He gives you a fantastical setting with a fantastical opening and first impression that sets the tone for the rest of the book. And that's what this does right here. And I really yeah, like it. I, I liked it a lot too. And I wrote a couple things that uh, I was impressed by. So I liked it a lot, but there were two things that stuck out to me. Um, on this great first impression. One, we get a sense of the narrator, and two, we get an intriguing hook. So the narrator is a 20-something, which is relatable for most readers. He grew up in Florida, so mm -hmm. that comes with all the stereotyping imagery of a kid that lives in Florida, you know, probably uh, grew up in a nice, easy climate. You know, you kind of get an idea of what that kind of person would be like. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, you also see that he has a sense of humor. Because he said he's got that line. If I keep pawning the rings the crow brought me, I could start a second income. It's like oh, okay, so he's like yeah. got a sense of humor, you know. Like, and it also yeah. lets us know that he probably has a job, but he's probably not making mm -hmm. a ton of money, you know. So the fact that that would come yeah. up to, into his head, um, so he's a normal dude. And the hook for me was that the crow leaving a gift was an unanswered question about the narrator, like, like, or the hook for me was the the gift giving crow and. Things about the narrator I still don't know. Like, what is his name? How old? Or not how old he is, but where does he live now? If he grew up in Florida, why would you say that but not say where you live now? Just the bad area. So it makes you want to keep reading. It makes you want to keep discovering. Yeah. Uh, you get a sense of who he is, and you get the weirdness, and then they go, let's do this. And so you just, okay, let's keep reading. It's, and it's very easy to read. The, the font is separated enough on the page where it was like, I'm not a huge reader, like a physical reader, but um, mm -hmm. this was pretty easy to just pick up. So yeah, I the narrator it. continues to give Pop-Tart scrap to the crow and keeps getting small shiny rings, some gold, some silver, thick and thin, but nothing worth much. He wished the bird would bring a diamond ring, but it would never happen. He then switch, switches the Pop-Tarts for store-bought bird seed and the reward changed to trucker caps. 
he gathered enough caps to hand out to his friends before moving on to the next food item. And I wonder what his friends think of this situation. Like, hey, man, here's a here's another cap. It says, uh, you know, <laughs> it says drink Wisconsinably. It's like, where did you get this guys. hat, dude? With, like, I've never known you to be like a hat, dude. You know, and they're like, oh, I, get, I get it from a crow. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? Nothing. Just forget, just about, forget it. about it. So I imagine some funny conversations there. So then the narrator shares a quick list of other items until he gets something unexpected. This is from the book. Crackers got me bumper stickers. Berries got me spools of string. Shredded chicken got me McDonald's toys. I kept switching it up, hoping that eventually I'd land on something valuable. But then handing over a French fry brought me a seashell. And after that, I decided to take things in a completely different direction. You see, I shouldn't have gotten a seashell. I live in Peoria, Illinois. So that's basically saying homie lives in Peoria. There is no sea by there. It is completely landlocked. So the fact that he's getting a seashell is like, ooh, okay, we got something here. And now we know where he lives. So uh, so now we got the seashell and the game's changed. It seemed like the rewards from the crow are consistent with the food item. This makes me as the reader want to figure out the correlation. Like, is there a secret meaning behind it all? So like like the fact that he's he gives crackers and he gets bumper stickers how are crackers related to bumper stickers and how is that the same as getting spools of string from berries you know like my brain's already going into ooh maybe we can figure out this puzzle so again great hook getting ready for deep getting ready for deep <laughs> oh yeah i know that ha- i know that would have the gears turning for you brother i know you well enough so the narrator then says what the reader is thinking There is something more to this, and they believe it to be a paranormal phenomenon and something worth recording. So they devise a a meticulous experiment in which they change uh, the food given to the crow every three days exactly and write it down or write down the rewards. Let's take a look at the results. So if you're following along in your book, please turn to page four. Page four. Page four. And I will pull it. I got a I took an image from the Kindle version that I have. Okay, so. Yeah, I got the Kindle. I yeah, I got the Kindle version as well. It's easier to copy and paste notes and stuff. So anyway, so this is kind of what we got. So uh, the the date starts with six twelve to six fourteen. Geckos from the yard, and the reward was thimbles. For uh, the next food, it was apples. Oh, also geckos. They do live in Illinois. There's seven species of geckos in Illinois. I didn't think that there were because I'm like geckos in Illinois. What the hell? (laughs) But there is. Okay, next food, applesauce. And the reward was teeth bones. Um, Do you want to read the next couple? Just we'll just do a couple more. Yeah, rice. And then he got old pennies. Worms got brightly colored shoestrings. Spoonfuls of hot sauce brought arrowheads, arguably the most valuable so far. Plain water got cigarettes, unused. Mushrooms got Skittles one by one. Yeah, so th- th- you get the idea, you know, and yeah. um, pick up the book if you want to look at the full thing. Uh, but I thought that was pretty cool. I especially liked, like you said, the arrowheads and, you know, him being from Peoria, Illinois, you know, the Peoria tribe. It's like, oh, that'd be like a Peoria tribe fucking artifact, which is kind of cool. So uh, the narrator. Can I just make a note? Do it. Can I make a note? When he brought crickets, he did get razor blades. Oh, yes, that's right. So we, the last two, the the last two are crickets. He gets razor blades. Why? 
I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, crows, they probably eat insects. They probably eat crickets, but maybe they don't like the noise. So it's like, you know, I didn't get it. It was so, it was kind of like, it takes a little twist of like, huh? And then the last thing is pizza and you get notes or whatever. Okay, so the narrator left a bowl of salt, salt out for the bird. But when they went to the bathroom for five minutes, the crow apparently grabbed one of the gifted razors used it to tear open the top of the pizza box left sitting out and ate three slices before their narrator returned, scaring off the crow. When the crow came back the next morning, he had 10 pages of the start of a story entitled Bedfellows, and the narrator fed the crow pizza for eight days to get the whole story. So, um, things I, something I want to discuss. So the narrator's first encounter with the crow was from him eating Pop-Tart Edges for which he was rewarded with a gold wedding band with the word irreplaceable engraved on the side. So he left the Pop-Tart edges Yes, because he doesn't like them because they're too dry. And he got a, a okay. reward of a gold, bland, a gold wedding band that said irreplaceable. This makes me think that there was something important with it. Initially on the first read, on the first read I get the instinct that the relationship with this bird will be irreplaceable. And he is now kind of married to the events which are about to unfold. But mm, I like that. That's you know. So I got some questions for Evan. If you got a chance, Evan, leave a comment. <laughs> feel, feel free, free to email, email us. So why did you the, use Italian the on the spine, bro? <laughs> on the spine of the book. I want to know. Are you Italian? Pretension. Or is it kind of like a thing for like the pizza crow, like the pizza crow is Italian or something like that. So anyway. Okay. There's that one. Samurai, okay. Samurai, and then are you. Cl- yes. Samurai pizza cats. <laughs> And there are in Bedfellows, there are some great references. We'll get to them. Yeah, um, but I was like there impressed. Are. I was like, oh shit, he's talking about video games. Okay, so uh, my next question for you, Evan, is are you classifying the book as odd fiction or is it just another way of saying weird fiction? So, like, is that your classification or is that just because that's what your website's called or whatever? And then how do you come up with the design for your book cover? Can you show us some throw, thrown out versions or older versions? Because I liked it. So I wanted to see like how you came up with yeah. that. It is. It is good. I, I, I'd be interested to get answers to these questions. I, I, I would hope uh, that Evan will uh, send us an email and give us thoughts. That would be cool. All right. Uh, moving on to the first story, which we got from our, our first gift from the Pizza Crow. Bedfellows. Bedfellows. Nice. Summary. Andrew left his office job shortly after he and his girlfriend Catherine broke up. Due to the unusual situation of their relationship, Andrew would have to take a night shift in order to keep his and his ex's lives respectively separated. Andrew wanted to stay close to his friends and family in the Bay Area, but his job options were limited. Most were security guard positions, which frightened poor Andrew, who had experienced a home invasion firsthand when he was just a boy. Criminals, specifically burglars, terrified him ever since. This left Andrew with a handful of delivery driver openings to choose from. He went with the most interesting one of which, which was Nightcap. The, they deliver gourmet cappuccinos after dark. That's the start. Andrew, Andrew wouldn't have to act as a barista, just the driver, which was great because he had a license to drive and a terrible culinary sense. If there's more than two ingredients involved, Andrew just can't get it to taste right. One of the many reasons his ex found their short time cohabitating to be such a frustratingly one-sided 
experience. I like that little, I like that little bit of detail. And I, I kind of got the feeling that you were just going to read the I first was. two. I'm like, Ooh, I want to get that. I want to get that last one in there because I, here's the thing, right? So I want you, I, I gotta be, I gotta be totally real with you. I read this back in, I read this back in June and that paragraph right there was one of the ones that stood out to me the most. That one about the, uh, uh his culinary skill. The, only. The, the, yeah. 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 And I, I, I read it and I was just like, I know somebody like that. My brother's like that. And I, I immediately found myself connecting to what I was reading. I liked it. I mean, we, I always feel like we say this a lot when we discuss these chapters, but if it's well-written, yeah. it's well-written. And that's kind of how this feels. It, it feels like I'm connecting to it. I'm, I'm getting into it. I remember my experience reading this. I was like, you know what? It was pretty yeah. damn good. I like it. Um, I think I thought it was interesting that both the narrator and the author of the first story introduce us to the main character effectively right away by sharing something about their respective childhoods. So in the case yes. of Andrew, he has some PTSD in regards to home invasion and robbers. And then I think anybody would if they've experienced yeah. that. And so it was so effective when the narrator first started talking about, I grew up in Florida as a kid, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like he's doing the same thing, except this is from a completely different author within the story. You know what I mean? But it's so effective that it, it works. I just kind of noticed that as a pattern, you know, whatever. So also we learned that Andrew is taking a night shift job for some reason relating to his ex, Catherine. So Andrew takes the job as a night shift cappuccino delivery driver. His first week was rough due to the transition into a new sleep schedule. To stay awake, he stole sips from his customers' drinks. Come on, man. So I read this, right? And I'm like, okay. This I don't think Andrew's a I don't either. Guy. But I read this and I was like, homie's kind of well, a weirdo. Well, he's kind of a weirdo, but it, it came off kind of as like he's just irresponsible. You know, like he's just like, oh, I won't – it won't bother them. You know, like the – this reminds me of some shit I would do when I was like yes. 17 or 18. I agree. So I was just like, dude, you work for the cappuccino company. Just make your own, you know? That's what I'm thinking. That's what we thought. And then he has that first experience. Uh, I wonder if I put that in there. Go ahead. It's like it's like when you – so it's like my brother will say, hey, Neo, hey, Justin, get me a glass of water. And I'll, I'll be like, Really? So I'll take this cup, I'll go fill it up with cold water, and I'll just quick go, and I'll top oh, yeah. it back off quick. You gotta take a swig. Or, I mean, doesn't hurt on Yeah, it. like I feel like it's I feel like it's innocent enough, but I affect essentially it's the, the same, same thing, thing. Except when it's customer, you know, this is this was written in a pre-pandemic uh, world. I know. You know, people didn't think about germs. You know what I mean? <laughs> but whatever, it doesn't matter. This is the character. Certainly not as certainly not no, as much. This is the character, and it doesn't matter if this was written before or after. I'm glad this is in there because it gives us more about the character. He's just like, dude, I am yes. falling asleep. I need something. And of course I didn't think a, he didn't think ahead to make himself a cappuccino. It tells you everything you need to know. We're building Andrew's character and we're telling you a lot about him without beating you over the yep. head constantly we're giving you actual like stories and information and little quips about him without sitting here and just being like oh here's this big long wax like he's kind of a weirdo he's this he's that he's that he's actually instead of just telling us that he's weird and quirky he's exactly really yeah, well too I like that it's like it it sneaks yeah. up on you these little moments you're, you you kind of go oh okay or oh that's weird 
those are all the showing, not telling, and it's pretty great. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Andrew's route uh, was all over the Bay Area, but was focused mainly on the surrounding area of Stanford and Berkeley campuses, customers being smart research startup employees. We get to see a funny encounter where Andrew gets caught trying to deliver a less than full coffee and proceeds to screw it up because the he, he comes up with like an ex, the excuse, uh, like the guy was like, there's only 18 fluid ounces in here and they're supposed to be 22. And he's like, um, it's for room for the cream. And he's like, okay, then put the cream in there. And that was like one ingredient too far for him. And he just <laughs> screwed it up. See, like, that's why that's where I was like, okay, that's kind of extreme. I'm like, dude, you just pour the freaking cream in like a you know, grown ass man, which is what you are at this point. It was just kind of a funny, it what? gives you, it's like a funny, you know, know. It, but yeah, I, I was I the got, same way. I'm like, I come on, you. Andy, let's go, dude. Come on. Come on, Andy. Don't make, don't make me do this. Don't make me show you. So he then it. uses his new health insurance that he got from his job to meet up with his therapist, Dr. Uh, Ezekiwa, Ezekiwa prescribed him and he prescribed him a mood stabilizer after determining that he probably had depression. Unfortunately, since Andrew was a new patient, Dr. Ezekiwa didn't realize that Andy works nights and tells him to take two before bed. And Andrew, being the submissive drone that he is, takes it at what would be considered a normal bedtime, which happens to be minutes before starting his shift. You dumbass, Andrew. <laughs> you absolute pop tart. Yeah. Like like I read this and I'm just like take two before bed and I'm like, "Well, even if you work night shift, like going to bed would be when you're done with your Same shift." Same thought, but that's establishing Andrew's character. Of course he would screw this up too. He just doesn't think yeah. things through, yeah. you know? It's like bedtime, okay. Normal people go to yeah. bed at 10 o'clock. Okay, I'm taking it at 10. Oh, I start my shift at 10:30. Great. That's probably why she dumped Probably. Him. That was part of it. For sure. Catherine deserves better. Catherine deserves Yuki. Just kidding. Just kidding. Whatever. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Jesus, Andrew's man. response to the new meds were severe, even at the low dosage. En route to the Marine Conservatory, his first destination, 23 minutes away, drinks started spilling over into the cup holders as his driving gets more erratic. Andrew was blacking out. And this is seriously scary. I was, I was actually like, yeah, I, yeah, I was reading this. And I'm like, uh, is he yeah, gonna die? This can actually happen if you take the wrong type of medication. You can get seizures. You can like blackout. Black you can out. have like yeah. severe reactions to them, even at low dosage. I, I was on ADHD medication for over 20 years, and when I weaned myself off, I had withdrawals. I had, actual like vision. i had actual visions i actually saw stuff that was not yeah, there it, it's real so yeah this is where i was like oh dude it's getting serious now while swerving along yep. the cliffside highway a security guard on his way to work which i thought was funny that it was a security guard on his way to work because it was yeah. the other job opportunity yeah. <laughs> so so this guy starting his <laughs> first week and he's like what the hell this crazy he almost gets almost gets smoked by this guy starting his first week this could have been you. <laughs> he was driving behind Andrew and saw Andrew lose control and crash through the guard railing, tumbling down the cliffside. The security guard pulled over and raced down the hillside only to find the wrecked car with spilled coffee, no driver in sight. When I when I first read this, I'm like, okay, did he get thrown from the vehicle? Like, I didn't know we were going paranormal with this shit. Mm. I had no idea what to Same. expect. 
And then I, 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 at the very start, when I first read this part right here, I was like, dude, this sucks. I can't follow this. This and and so I just kind of, I kind of begrudgingly kept reading. I was like, well, I got to finish reading it. I want to be able to talk about it. And again, this is the impression it made on me. If I remember it five months later, and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. This is stupid. I can't understand this. I can't follow this. This is incoherent. Was he drunk when he wrote this? And then I kept reading and I'm like, oh, well, now I feel stupid. Well, here's the thing about it does. It is a little um, disorienting when it happens because this is our first yeah. what the fuck moment in this in this book. Oh, yeah. Besides the crow. There's a lot of them in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. things weren't weird enough with the pizza crow, now it's like this is a what the fuck moment. And it's disorienting because his pacing is so quick. He goes from one thing to the mm-hmm. next thing to the next thing. If this was a movie, it would all be shot in one take, kind of like Birdman. If you've ever seen that one, yeah. it's all shot in one take, but it's all a complete story, different places, all that kind of thing. But it just goes and flows. This story is a lot like that. It just goes, goes, goes. So it's kind of like, even if you get into a moment where you're like, I'm not getting this. If you literally keep reading to the next paragraph, it will then connect. And then it's chances are, you and then you start it. to understand that style of weirdness. So then when it happens again, you're like, okay, this I wasn't expecting, but I'm in this mindset, so I'll take it. You know what I mean? You understand that's yeah, this, style. this is normal. This is normal. Now. So yeah. uh, Andrew's body was luck. This is this is from the book. This is how it's written. This is this is the part that confused us, but you'll see why. Andrew's body was luckily teleported far away from the accident as soon as he had fully lost consciousness. At that moment, he was transported to a bedroom in Redwood City, long before his car even impacted the guardrail. Andrew's pills had knocked him out cold to the degree where he could have slept for another four or five hours if undisturbed. But the bedroom Andrew was in was not a part of his dingy junior one in San Bruno. There were no crumbs on his back, and the mattress was on top of an actual bed frame instead of lying directly on the floor a foot from the nearest television. The pillows had covers, and they were multiple. there were multiple blankets and even sheets. These were not the conditions Andrew's had, Andrew had grown accustomed to. These were the comfortable arrangements of his former relationship. So you're like, you know, it just says in the book, he luckily got transported or teleported, and you're like, teleportation yeah. <laughs> what how do you te- like how do you how do you teleport like what uh, yeah i read that i was like this is so stupid i was like i don't understand this and then i felt stupid when i realized what was going on i'm like i'm already in a in a fantastical mindset from what i've read previously like why why couldn't my brain put two and two together i guess because we didn't have swords yeah. and shields and magic but it's cool having an urban oh like, yeah like you're it's like normal world but like, what if this could happen? You know, like, it was kind of cool. Once I realized what this was, I was totally yep. on board. I was like, damn, this is cool shit. I'm not even necessarily into stuff like this. But once I realized what it was, I'm like, keep going, dude. I like it. So Andrew had magically teleported into his previous apartment where his ex lived and was fast asleep next to her. Neither of them realizing that they were. Hell yeah. Neither of them realizing <laughs> that they were bedfellows again. <laughs> Catherine was sound asleep due to the to exhaustion she had from staying up late working on her latest drawing contract as a graphic designer. And it's just like, okay, so she's a graphic designer and he's 
a delivery guy, whatever. Andy's boss starts calling his cell phone to find out where he was, and the constant buzzing wakes the light sleeper Catherine. Instead of being startled, which is what we as the reader are expecting, uh, you're in my bed, you know, that kind of thing. She knew exactly why Andrew was there. The specific arrangements that were mentioned at the beginning of the story now come to light. Andrew had fallen asleep at the same time as her, and this is what we get from the book. Catherine and Andrew were cursed. If they ever fall asleep at the same time, they end up in the same bed together. The bed in this scenario is chosen uh, is the chosen sleeping arrangements of whoever falls asleep first, whether that be a couch, a sleeping bag, or a traditional mattress. Luckily, it was Catherine who'd fallen asleep first in this case, or else Catherine would have ended up on Andrew's passenger side, and they both would have plummeted to their death. So they're cursed. The teleportation is a curse that they have. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, you just go with it. Now I get it. Now I don't feel so stupid. And that's why she's not freaking out when she wakes up. Like you imagine a scene where she's screaming, like, what are you like? Who is this? You know, that kind of thing doesn't happen. She's just like, yep, here we are again. You know? So Catherine kicks Andy in the ribs to wake him up. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of, this is kind of anime right here. (laughs) Exactly what I thought. I was like, what is this? Tiger from Toradora? And he starts swearing and screaming as he remembers where he was last. Like, oh, we're going to crash, you know? He tries to reach for his phone, but Catherine thinks he's climbing back into bed with her and denies his advance by blasting him in the face with a super kick. <laughs> super he manages to retrieve his phone and runs into the safety of the hallway to take his boss's call, who had told him that the police informed him that he had fled from the scene. And he makes up excuses that he had been thrown from the car and a good Samaritan brought him somewhere else. His boss buys it. Catherine doesn't accept Andrew's apology, scolding him about responsibility. He notices new pictures on the walls featuring Catherine and a new boyfriend. She tells him he's lucky because this is the one week that Yuki was out of town for business. And I'm like, she called. One month out, she's already got a new man? She called. (laughs) They've only been separated for one month, but whatever, you know. Okay, so Andrew gets a cool shipwreck picture from storage that Catherine didn't want. I thought that was so funny. He's like, you changed the pictures. And she's like, isn't she an artist or doesn't she draw or yeah. paint or something? So, it, oh, maybe it was yeah, her drawing. I didn't think about that. But he's like, you changed the pictures. She's like, we never had pictures on the wall. Like as he was looking at the picture of her and Yuki. And um, he's like, there was a cool shipwreck painting <laughs> or something like that. And she's like, you can have it. It's in storage. Get out of here. You know? So his boss gave him the rest of the night off to recover. Despite everything that had just happened, Andrew felt his meds working, leaving him in a positive mood. Not wanting to waste a night off, Andy heads to the local bar, and thinking of Catherine's new boyfriend, he decides he should move on too. So he's going bird-dogging at the bar. He's going hunting, you know what I'm saying? He sits alone at the bar as he, as the dance floor behind him buzzes with activity. He almost goes home, but then a young woman sits next to him and starts chatting him up. And she is an absolute smoke show, according to the book. So I have a little gripe with this Hell part. Yeah. So I didn't like how the narrated narrator told us her name before she tells us that she's introduced. So like, it, this is what it says. Yeah. But just before giving up, a young lady named with the name or a young lady by the name of Diane suddenly sat down beside him and introduced herself. Like, so the narrator is telling us who this is uh, it, it's i get it because the pacing 
to have the introduction dialogue like, hey, are you drinking alone? Like all the stuff that we've already heard before would be too much of a a speed bump. <laughs> yeah, it, it that that would really no, that would really slow the pacing down for this book. But there is a right way to introduce characters, and I noticed that too. Um, I typically typically won't introduce a character by their name unless they've already been heavily discussed previously in the book. You know, I would say it was Roanoke, the Trapper's cousin or the king of the Trapper's Guild or something yeah. like that. Something like that. You know, like, we know this guy already. Like, he's been talked about for the whole book. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But just that those... Diane sat down and introduced yeah, herself. First time we've ever heard of this character. Yeah. Or even just what he could have done is separate it there and just say, hey, I'm Diane. A soft voice called suddenly from his right or something yes. like that. It, it, it would solve the problem. It would it would get you out of that basically uh, writing faux pas maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, I don't, again, I don't think this is terrible. I don't think yeah, it's, it's not game breaking or, or you know, it doesn't. But it was, it was no, it's not shelf worthy. You know, it's not like, Oh, I'm done reading this. No. Um, it's yeah. still way better writing than I can do. But the thing that was kind of tugging at my brain this whole time is like, okay, so the narrator is one person like from the pizza crow frame chapter. This is, uh, ostensibly a, a whole new author, right? So if there are inconsistencies, um, in the storytelling style, then that is the fault of the fictional or the fictitious author inside the story, right? So it's like, is he writing that one bad on purpose because it's written in blue ink on 10 pages of lined paper? Or is he writing that because that's how he writes? You know what I mean? So that was going through my head. And obviously you don't need to worry about it. It's one line, but do you know what I'm saying? There's plenty of... Yes, and there's plenty of sentence structure in this chapter that made me think that Evan has a very specific way of writing because it doesn't sound right when I read it. It doesn't feel right when I see it on a page, but he does it so much. I think you either don't know how to structure some sentences, not all, some sentences, or this is That's just his how style. You write. And if you have a style, again, pretentious, it goes against the grain. It's fine. Remember, pretentious it can, can be, be a good thing. I actually this, found, I found myself noticing it, and I found myself oddly okay with I it. I liked it because it was so relatable. His writing style is unique in the way that he's doing it. Like when he, It almost reminded me of like uh, – did you ever see 500 Days of Summer where there's a narrator behind the scenes? Like it, basically a character will walk sure. in and it's like, Summer thought that she was going to a party and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's kind of what I – this style of – uh, writing reminds me of where there's kind of like a floating narrator yeah. within the scene. Um, but yeah. it's relatable because he's not using high speak. Yes. It's pretentious. Cause you're trying to make it kind of artsy or whatever, but he's not using Basically. huge words to try to impress you. Like, um, you know, like Perdido street station or something like that. I get the impression from Evan. This is how I write. Take yep. it or leave it. And the reason that I am okay with it is because that's how I feel about my writing. I'm taking you on a journey into my world. If you don't like it, yep. fuck off. Hell yeah. Something else. And some people don't like that. I know my brother doesn't like that, but some people don't like that. And they want you to follow 
a path when you write. They want you to write a certain way. And there's a reason for it because typically good writing follows certain structures. But sometimes exceptional writing breaks the mold. I agree. So uh, jumping back into it, uh, they make small talk and Andrew jokes about her not getting any free coffee from him tonight. And Diane reveals by Ooh. flicking her nose that she's good because she does coke. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now we got drugs. Yeah, I was really little, turned it was off a little easy. by how yeah. easy about drugs this <laughs> was. It's okay. Like I one thing coke. was when Evan, or not Evan, when Andrew is like, I'm going to go to the bars to pick up chicks. I thought, okay, like there's no way he's actually going to pick up a chick. You know what I mean? Like it's just, he's going to have this weird bar scene where he maybe is introduced to someone, but no, this goes straight into freaking they hook up. And it's like, what kind of life does this guy lead where he can't even make a cappuccino delivery yet? He can go to the bar and pick up some Coke head. No problem. You know what I mean? I, I guess I, we should have hung out with him in high school, huh? Okay, so by flicking her nose, she reveals that she's good because she does coke. Andrew thinks to himself that this is a great thing because it would mean a longer time awake than a usual hookup because he usually has hookups. Go ahead, Diamond Dallas Page. So, so. Diamond Cutter. Yeah, that is DDP, yep. isn't it? I, what was I going for? What was I going for? What was, oh, I was going for uh, Phenomenal AJ Styles. Uh, what was I thinking? Um, so he meets this chick. She's got a coke habit. That's going to keep her up because Catherine don't get up to like, what, 6 a.m.? So jumping into a sex scene would feel odd. And I remember this part, deep conversation, and now they're yeah, banging. Then it, it immediately, and that's what I wrote here. Um, then and we I'm cut to the sex like, scene. All right. So this is how it's written. So this is where I started to get on board with Evan's writing style. Because of the phrasing he uses, the, the types of verbs he uses for certain things. And you will pick up on this right away. So this is directly from the book. I'm not making funny here. Jumping immediately into a sex scene would seem a bit misleading, considering there was, in fact, a lot of deep conversation up until that, up until they finally made love between the hours of four and five. Before they boned, they shared their respective struggles with chronic illness. And before they banged, they discussed their mutual fear of firearms and explosives. And before they humped, Diane went into greater detail on her work with quantum tunneling. Oh, quantum tunneling. Okay. I missed that. I mean, I remember reading it and thinking I should remember this, but then so much more weird shit happens that I totally forgot about quantum tunneling. And before they sucked, Andrew discussed the numerous details about our society he considered largely subpar. Their conversation only transitioned into foreplay when they were done geeking out about their childhood experiences with Hot Shots Golf. Dude, hey, I was like, yeah. gamer, well, dude. He said seat. boned. He said sucked. He said hot shots Suck. golf. <laughs> oh, hell it's yeah. like, Evan, He's let's go get us. some drinks, dude, and talk about stories. <laughs> Come to Wisconsin, Dude. bro. Let's get fucked up. We'll go Taiwan <laughs> at the bars, bro. Yeah, we'll go down to the pub there and go down to crop season, hit the hit the so rails. It, it was absolutely it was an absolutely fun um thing. <laughs> Diane smashes the rails. <laughs> Diane would smash those rails. So I love this part. It was crude, but it was relatable in its informality. Using the term boned instead of they made love or you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. I, it was awkward to read, but I found myself. But it giggling. worked. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> and that's kind of what this story does is 
it takes these, you know, uh, potentially serious, scary moments, you know, meeting someone for the first time, finding out they have a drug habit, but you got to stay awake. That's potentially could be skewed as scary into a, like a fun, like actual kind of nice love scene. (laughs) Like it worked. Yeah. So, uh, Andrew awakes. Oh, so this is, so they do it. And they fall asleep after six safely because it was Andrew shut himself up and allowed them both to get some rest when it was safely six o'clock. Hell yeah. Andrew awakes from Diane's shrieking voice as he discovers Catherine laying beside them. She puked all over Diane. And the way it's written is like he does this a few times. I I know I keep digressing, but I just like to point it out. When the car crashed, the security guard went ran down the hillside and he saw a pool of like expanding liquid and he thought it was going to be blood but it was just cappuccino in this situation he wakes up and he sees yellow yellowish fluid in chunks on diane's chest and then he sees Catherine with yellowish chunks around her mouth so you're led to believe like did he did she just get some cosmic goo on her or something you know uh, but he tries to excuse that Catherine is his roommate who gets blackout drunks and climbs into the wrong bed sometimes, but Diane leaves in a huff. Andrew, now alone with Catherine, asks why she was drunk at this time, but she reveals that Yuki had knocked her out in anger. New boyfriend Yuki is an abuser. And, I, and th- then it gets serious again. It's like, God dang it. Ha- happy. We're boning. We're we're smashing the rails yeah. of coke. I mean, let's get fucked up. Bow, bow, <laughs> bow, bow, bow. And then. Yeah. <laughs> so Catherine is calm about it, though. And Andrew is furious yeah. to find out that Yuki is an, is abusing his ex. Yeah, I thought she was a little calm for this. Like, I thought she was a little. But she's calm. got her plan. She's decided to kind of self-sacrifice herself. That's the idea you get from her this whole time. Except, I mean, yeah, I mean, whatever. So he tells her that she should go to the authorities and immediately uh, or go to the authorities immediately. And she explains that uh, he's the son. Yuki is the son of the owner of a big Japanese company called Sato, which could land her a job that could solve both their problems. Now, I didn't understand that solve both their problems. I guess I was like in my head, it didn't reveal itself until you finish the chapter kind of, but um, I yeah. was thinking like solve both your problems. What like money issues? Like that's what it yeah. kind of like leads you to believe. But what it actually is is if she's across the world, they can live their normal life during the daytime, and they're on completely opposite schedules. That's what it was, and yeah. I didn't pick up on that because I'm yeah. stupid. It took me a minute, but it took me a minute or two too. But once I got it, I was like, oh yeah. yeah. So she says he shouldn't have to be forced to live in squalor. He should be an engineer or a lab tech. Andrew tells her, oh, and that's why I thought it was a money thing because she was basically, I thought she was saying like, you're wasting your potential. But what she's saying is because you work nights, you can't be an engineer or a lab tech. Are there no night shift engineer or lab tech jobs? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Andrew tells her that if she moves to Japan, mistakes could still happen and it would cost a lot more to get back home. She tells Andrew not to be so negative and explains that Yuki beat her up because he had neighbors keeping an eye on her while he was away. They told him that they saw someone leaving the apartment and he beat her up for it. 
Andy feels really bad and worries about the consequences of Yuki discovering their curse. But Catherine tells him not to worry that Yuki is a drug addict and was high when it happened. So it'd be easier to explain away why she vanished in thin air. Another druggie that just no problem. Everyone does drugs. (laughs) Unhappiness. Unhappiness finds unhappiness. That's typically how it works. They deserve each other. Uh, Before leaving. I have friends. I have friends in that situation. Before leaving, Catherine apologizes for potentially ruining his chances with Diane, and he tells her that he'll try to get coffee with her and make something up. Catherine suggests that he just doesn't lie and says that he was always good at apologies anyway. And then we cut immediately into um, meeting up with Diane in, in the process of doing that. And so this is where this is when I was like, OK, the pace is just fast in this story. Time will just go. There's no. Um, ellipses or little like star 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 or anything like that denoting a, a time change he'll just tell you if there's a time change after Catherine leaves andy sends a long thoughtful message to diane and the two agree to meet up at the diner she had mentioned was close to her lab he explains exactly how the curse between Catherine and himself started, describing how, after a fight the two had, Andy drove to his parents' house to spend the night. Catherine called him before falling asleep and told him that she couldn't sleep without him, and the next morning, they were in the same bed. That's when the curse started. And to me, I, w- I want to bring up a little rule about the about how the curse works. So she said, she calls Andy and says, Andy, I can't sleep without you. But in the morning... He's in their bed back at the apartment, meaning she went to bed first. She could fall asleep without him. <laughs> dead ass stare from Damn, Justin. You, you, dead ass, bro. You got me. <laughs> deep diving, mother. So you just did a deep. You just you just did a mind screw. Hey, uh, what's that guy's name that does uh, that does the the like the magic? Oh, the... Um, I know you. Mind freak. It's like Kevin James. Mind freak, but it's not Kevin James. It's yeah. Well, okay. you just did a mind fuck. <laughs> it's the mind freak. I can't think of his name. I used to love magic. I was gonna say Chris Hansen. Oh, Chris Angel. Chris, Chris, Angel? Chris yes, we did Chris it. Angel. Six degrees to Chris Angel. Dan Angel. Hey, hey, hey. Dan Angel. <laughs> mind fuck. Mind fucked. <laughs> Get mind fucked in this story. Okay, so. <laughs> Shit. Uh, to Andy, so to Andy's surprise, Diane completely believes him and is nonplussed about it. They're at the diner now, and he's explaining the whole thing, uh, citing several instances where her friends and family had odd things happening to them in their lives too. But it all, all of the stories were related in one way, and it was all because it had to do with romance. And I was like, "Ooh, the power of romance!" So this is like a romance curse. Hell yeah. You know, Andrew isn't a fan of the universe forcing them together and gives this hilarious line. If this curse is the universe shipping us together, neither of us are willing to concede, even if it's destiny that we save the world together. So I thought that it was funny that he used the term shipping. Like, is that a normal term nowadays or is that still just kind of an anime thing? I don't know. Okay, so Diane suggests that Andy, that Andy truly wants to go against the whim of the universe, that it might help to have someone uh, to help him who believes him. And the two of them team up. Party member added. The first mission is to get Andrew a bed frame and amenities. Then over the next few weeks, they thoroughly put it to, to stress tests and start falling in love. That that's how they they did like six a six week uh, stretch here where they're just banging all the time, getting to know each other. 
It's just they're just making pulled pork twenty four seven. They're sucking. They're whatever he you know. <laughs> they're talking about Super Monkey Ball two on the Dreamcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> just. Things start to move along well for the couple, and Diane starts ordering coffees for from Andrew and even buys some for him to stay awake. I thought that was cute. I thought that was nice. Nice girlfriend thing. Like, she's at work. That's how yeah. they met, you know, kind of. Um, and she's, like, ordering coffees late night, and she's like, I ordered you an extra one so you'd stay awake. Like, oh, that's cute. It feels like this weird, like, curse is actually helping Andrew build this relationship yeah. with Catherine. Or with, I'm sorry, Diane, with yeah. Diane. I'm sorry. So the pair spend a lot of time together, and Andrew wants to treat Diane too in the form of hard drugs. So Andrew's like, You've been such a good girlfriend for me. I'm going to give you some freaking drugs. I bought you some rails. <laughs> baby. Let's smash them together. Uh, one night while they're drugging it out or drugging it up, there's a knock at the door. This breaks them out of their Golden Girls themed hallucination, and they are afraid it's the cops. But quickly they realize that the voice at the door is Catherine. Andrew opens the door to see an eye patch wearing Catherine who tells him that she's done it. He can quit his job now and she's uh, she's going to be in Yokohama in 24 hours, which means that he will have to start going to bed at night again. Catherine leaves and Diane tells Andrew that it's great news. She'll get him a job at Marisoft and the two of them can be on the same schedule now. So this is from the book. This is at, so basically Catherine shows up. She's got an eye patch. So you can tell she's been beat up by Yuki again. It sucks, but whatever she tells him landed the job. You know, I, I stuck with this weirdo, got a job going to Japan tomorrow. We can live normal lives. Now we did it. She bounces. Andrew's kind of like, uh, not sure if he should be happy or not. And, uh, Diane's like, dude, you did it. Go ahead, Justin. She's wearing an eye patch. Yes. Just yeah. saying. She's wearing an eye patch. She's all fucked up. Yeah. She did get beat up again. You, you you can see this. Like you can see this gradual degradation of her character through this through the way this is being written. Like she is she is in a bad place. And it's like you want desperately for Andrew to stop her. I did. I wanted him to stop her because I've been there. I've seen it. And it's terrifying and it's heartbreaking. And I'm sitting there reading this. I'm like, dude, you need to grab her and stop her. Call the police and get her help. It's, it's rough. And you don't, you don't do it. You don't do it. And you don't do it. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, that that's the interesting thing about this story this, is it gets real, real fast. And then they kind of cover it up with some jokes and stuff, but it always goes back to no, it's actually real. Yeah. This part yeah. hit me. This part hit me hard. I was like, Oh shit. I think something I was like when I was reading this part I'm like there's no way she survives. I wasn't thinking that like, I'm like with the eye patch thing oh, yeah, I was thinking I was. like maybe she had pink eye or something cuz I think my brain wasn't going to okay. allow me to imagine her eye getting gouged out or getting stabbed in the eye or you know getting punched so hard it kind of fell out or whatever that can happen, you know. Yeah. I think my brain was just like not willing to accept that. I was I was firing and I'm like she's dying. There's no way she lives. Or she's going to kill herself. That's what I was thinking the whole time I was reading this. So Diane tells Andrew that it's great news and that they can be on the same schedule now. She'll get him a job at Marisoft. And this is from the book. This is the yep. one sentence from the book that I want to share on this part. 
Six weeks later, and things were not great. It turns out one of the defining characteristics of their relationship was an unorganized, healthy distance. Absolutely. And that's true too. Sometimes it's like spicy and fun when you when you're forced to stay away. Distance makes the heart grow fonder sometimes, you know. But when you're always together, then you start to see everything. You start to see all the little quirks and all that. So, it seems that Diane's coke habit has gotten worse as the pair fight about the lack of quality time together due to Andrew's strict schedule of trying to make sure he's to bed at a certain time. And the book outlines like they basically get 3 hours together. You know, if they're not boning, then they're mm-hmm. eating, you know. So the fighting really eats. Also, also, also yep, boning. At the same time. And those cold rails. Uh, the fighting really eats away at Andrew, but not as much as Diane's unwillingness to cut back on the drugs. It had finally come to a breaking point one day. And after locking himself away in a bedroom after a fight, Andrew forces himself to pass out in order to escape to Catherine. He awakes to an explosion. But instead of it being like Yuki with a shotgun or something, it was Diane with a homemade bomb. <laughs> yeah. Fuck? Uh, she sees drool on the pillowcase and feels betrayed that Andrew tried to teleport away. Uh, two things. Um, in the Kindle version that I have, um, drool, the it was spelled D-R-O-L-L. Uh, and I like looked up drawl in case that was a thing, but it's not. It, I think he just meant to do drool. But I recently looked at um, uh, the Amazon page for Pizza Crows, and somewhere on here it says uh, news for September 2020. The edition has been re-edited by professional ed- editor Vincent uh, Parisi. So. I imagine those little like those small little errors have been completely fixed. Yeah. So I have the older version on Kindle, um, but uh, you know you see some of that stuff just here and there in this book. There were some. There were some. There were some. Mistakes oh, and by the way, guys, it's on sale. So if you if you pick this book up, it, you can get it for four bucks right now, Kindle edition, which is pretty sweet, or free for Kindle Unlimited. Anyway, so that was one thing uh, that pointed out to me. But two, um. Diane makes bombs, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. crazy as f- she's crazy. So, she's crazy. So she yeah. sees drool on the pillowcase, feels betrayed that Andrew would try to teleport away. He points out that he's worried about Catherine, that Catherine might be dead because the teleport didn't work. Um, and she kind of goes back and forth with them, but they eventually call a truce and plan to, and come up with a plan to make sure Catherine's okay by sleeping at the same time she would. But after three days, he was still in the States. And I was like, oh, fuck. So at, at the diner, they're back at the diner discussing the situation. And they're trying to figure out how they could find Catherine. Diane suggests that Andrew kills himself to find the body. And she will build a device affixed to his PJs that will shock him back to life. Apparently, when Diane is on drugs, she can build anything. What? Yeah, I know. That's what I thought, too. I remember this. I remember reading this shit thinking, oh. And Andrew goes along with it. He's like, yeah, let's kill me and bring me back to life. You know what? You know what this is? This is a drug hallucination. That's what this shit is. Maybe it is. It's not not a hallucination, but it's like a drug like where you like think you can do anything when you're on drugs. But she actually can. I mean, she does know about quantum tunneling and stuff. Or she believes in it. 
or what? Well, well, whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? This this this, this, quant- this quantum tunneling. Could that quantum tunneling be what they're doing when they go to sleep? That could be it. Maybe that's why she's so. I was thinking about that. She's too, so like, quick to accept it. You know. Yeah. Well, she might know what it is. So Diane builds a wetsuit designed to kill Andrew and bring him back to life. The plan is that Andy will shock himself to death, recover the body, send it back to the States, then kill himself again, and then recover again. <laughs> That's the plan. Now let's do it. Let's kill you, So bro. what do you think of this plan? It seems like the story takes a dark turn fast, but while reading it, it comes off as fun and exciting. So we're talking about killing someone, bringing them back to life, to find a dead body, to send it back to the States, to kill them again, and then to get teleported back. Also, you don't have to pay a thousand bucks to get a, a plane ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so it, it comes off as fun and exciting. And the two banter with each other about how helping Andrew kill himself makes Diane a better partner. And it, it just works. The way it's written, it works. You, you It comes off it, as kind of like a... If- it effectively convinces the reader that yeah. it's okay. I don't know if you heard about the story about that girl, like that was allegedly trying to convince her boyfriend to kill himself. Mm. It was a big news story about a year ago or two years ago. And she was like, well, this is the time to do it. You know, nobody's there to stop you. You should do it oh, now. Through this text. is your only chance to do it. it was, yeah. It was like that kind yeah. of shit. Right. And it was a huge news story. And that's what this reminded me of. I'm like, anytime somebody says you should, followed by the words "kill yourself," I'm always yeah. suspicious. So, because that's not okay. <laughs> but in this story, it makes Diane a great partner. The time had come. They share some last words, and Diane kills Andrew by electrocution, and she observes his teleportation right before her eyes. And this is from mm-hmm. um, Diane's point of view. This is from the book. It was cool that we actually did Yeah, this. I liked this it was, too. This was cool. Not many people have actually witnessed Andrew's disappearing when it happens. Any partners he's been with have been fast asleep when he teleported away from them. But Diane, watching from right above, got to see the full transition, and it wasn't like anything she was expecting. It was sudden and rapid. She watched his body implode like it were made of sand, and all of his matter mashing together at once into an infinitesimal point in the center of his heart. So that is kind of a quantum tunnel kind of thing. After a week goes by, Diane gets worried because she hasn't heard from Andrew. She's doing more, uh, more and more drugs to cope while she spends all of her free time poring over Japanese news, looking for anything related to Catherine or Andrew. And at this point, they mentioned Catherine's last name and Andrew's last name. I, I was going to look it up to see if there's some sort of correlation between those names or if there was old news stories about those names or something, but I ended up not looking it up. So it's just like, whatever, they're adding their names. Eventually, there was a hit. Strange seismic activity at a bottling plant has cracked the floor, causing the employees to get nervous about a burrowing animal. This is when it gets seriously weird. If it hasn't been seriously weird already, guys, it starts to get real weird at the end of this story. So this is from the book. Two weeks later, an excavation occurred to fix the issue because the the ground had kind of popped up in the bottling plant, which would unknowingly cause an international uproar. Early on, x-rays showed the pressure point wasn't shaped like a nest, but like the size and shape of a single human body. But upon cracking open the cast and peering inside, they discovered two. 
So think about that. They were doing like floor x-rays to see what's under there, expecting to see a nest of an animal that had cracked open the the floor. And they found in the x-ray, they found a single human, what looked like the shape of a single human body. They open it up and there's two people there. The visceral imagery of the uncovered anomaly is what made the headlines. It seemed like an archaeological mystery. A pair of bodies were squeezed together, face to face, palm to palm, in a mold that could only fit one. The bodies had flattened against one another. Each of their heads looked like half of a pistachio. Their rows of ribs aligned like the teeth of a zipper and penetrated into one another. They're investigating several leads, explained the anchor. Oddly enough, evidence shows some link between the killers and a small U.S. company, Marisoft. Several electronic devices were found on the victims matching components patented by said company. So that was just like a gruesome, like, oh, that's what happens to Andrew. He found the body, but like it was under... Like, it's just weird. It was just really weird. So uh, let's finish out the chapter because we're really close and then we're going to talk about the weirdness. Diane scrambles to flush her drugs and get mentally prepared for the oncoming investigation that would surely point towards her. And this is how the chapter ends. She thought about the image of the two mashed together like that. It filled her with uh, certainly... It filled her and certainly most viewers with pure disgust. But perhaps, she thought... Whatever did this, whatever sixth voyeur needed these two together is sufficiently satisfied and maybe, maybe even a little aroused. Oh, we are Diane. Trust me, we've been waiting for them to make up for quite some time. It's nice that we finally got that big kiss scene we've been waiting for. So it almost makes it sound like... Mom! It almost makes it... The meatloaf! It almost makes it sound like the narrator is like, you know. Yeah, it's just part part of it. It was so weird, such a weird ending, and and it was disturbing. Like at the end, I finished it out, and it this was. was my face. It's like jaw slightly ajar, a, a gape yeah, you could I was say, like, That's fucked up. and kind of like a frustrated look on my eyebrows, but it's more of like a disgust, like, ugh. Uh, what what the hell just happened? Yeah. Great story, great short story. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was you know what it reminded me of. You ever read Goosebumps? As a I kid? never did, but my siblings did. I was too it afraid. It reminded of me of. It reminded me of a very long form Goosebumps. Yeah, story. and this is something we didn't say in the beginning, but we probably should have. This book is not for kids. This is an adult no book. Dude, this is adult goosebumps. Tons of swearing, and there's tons of swearing mm-hmm. in this book. Like, I was surprised when when the characters start cussing yeah. at each other. Like, fuck you! What the fuck is going on? Several like, fucks in a row. In some of those stories. Well, for for the characters yep. too. Like, yeah, they were they were getting to humping. Yeah, and and, and boning and sucking <sighs> and sucking and fucking so, and sucking and fucking. That um. That gives you a taste, a little taste of what this book is kind of like. It kind of, it is, it is odd fiction. That's for sure. Um, the rest of the stories are like this. It's almost like uh, you could compare it to like, like you said, it's like an adult goosebumps and it's really good. It is. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I guess we're, we're going to have to discuss, like maybe we'll do the next chapter or not, but I don't know if I want to spoil the whole book. Cause that is the fun of it. You know what I mean? 
Um, going this yeah. deep. Well, because once you once you know who the killer is, the horror movie isn't scary right. anymore. So, you know, one chapter or two chapters is fine, but I, I don't think we spoil the whole book. I yeah. agree with you. So, yeah, it, it is definitely worth um, reading. But... Uh, yeah, any do you have any last thoughts on it? What do you what do you think about um how what do you think about the framing that the pizza crawl Well, yeah, go ahead. I like I like how it's done. I told you I immediately made the gaming the gaming comparison, but I like how it's done. And I curiosity killed the cat, right? So, like you got to figure how long is he going to do this changing and the switching until this crow brings him something really serious now we go from little trinkets little odds and ends. now we're getting pages now we're getting these stories what are these stories how are they interconnected and what will they lead this framing story character to realizing to experiencing etc etc and i i just i like the framing chapters they put you in the right state of mind and i like the way evan writes because yes it's a fast pace and if there's something you don't understand typically it's explained within the next paragraph yeah. or two I love it. If, if you if you're confused, just keep reading. And there 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 might be some stories in here that you just don't connect with. <laughs> keep reading. Yeah, nope, definitely. Thirty pages later, you got a new story. You. you know, thirty six, yeah. forty. Yep. You know, these these are short stories, but they're very fleshed out uh, and very entertaining. Typically, not my style of book. I like got scared reading this, but um, it's. It's worth it, you know. It's a, it's really cool. I've never read anything like this before. Yeah, it ended up, you know, even I'm 33 and I've never read anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this and it was a nice change from what yeah. I'm used to. I I enjoyed my experience with Pages from the Pizza Crows and honestly, I would recommend it to to somebody that wants a serious reading experience. Now, if you want a fantasy tale of swords and dragons, probably going to want to pass <laughs> yeah. this one. But this, but this is a little bit more. This is a little bit more adult reading experience. Yeah, there's some there's some childish things in it, and there's some jokes and there's some fun in it, but there's some serious overtones yeah. that don't go away. It's nice, and there's some truth in it too. That's what makes it scary. Very much so. so. Um, Very much so. Uh, it it, uh, it made me think. Uh, bedfellows really made me think i was like oh man as soon as he started like talking about killing him and stuff i'm like man what what is going on here and then there's like the little twist at the end oh we have been diane i'm just like damn who are you yeah it's one of those where any of these stories could have been a full story you know like i i would have totally yeah. read bedfellows the book could have been 120 yep. pages easily like a short uh, like a novelette or whatever they call it novella novella that would be sweet i'd like to see some instances where there's like cool teleportation to japan you know like where he's actually showing up and he's got to like run away from yuki and the the yakuza's you know what i mean something like that (laughs) just shows up steak away going to akihabara i liked it going to mr potato gonna play some of those super famicom games uh but anyway yeah so it's cool i liked liked what i liked what we read here 
this was a good this was a good experience. Honestly, my initial impressions when I looked at this when you told me about it, I'm like, oh, this is gonna suck. And then I got into it, started reading. And I'm like, I remember yep. I texted you. This I was is like, actually good, Dan. This is actually. I'm like, Dan, this is actually good. We should do this. Like, we need to do yeah. this. So, um, cool. That's good. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Justin. I appreciate it. Where can the people find you if they want to look up your stuff? Oh my goodness, they can find us everywhere. If they want to follow our gaming channel for some odd reason, they can follow the Balding Plus. The on Balding Plus. Uh, if they want to. Yes, you know, yep. because we're balding. If they want to follow our writing, good luck. Um, but you can check out what we have self-published, which is the Trinity of Heroes, which you do have there. Thank you. Uh, you can check out the sequel to it, book two. Ultimatum. Grim, Ultimatum. Yes. Uh, I would consider that to be our best writing. It is fantastic. Uh, I'm also working on a light novel slash anime themed a series called Tokyo Lightning. I have several volumes available on Amazon. And uh, I write every once in a while on Wattpad just for shits and giggles. But, uh, Dan, I want to know what the viewers thought of Bedfellows. I want to know what they thought of our discussion here. I want to know what you would feed the and crow and you would get in return. <clears throat> That'd yeah, be kind of cool. Absolutely. And I, and I hope that Evan gets in touch with us and answers some of the questions we had for the author, because this, uh, this was actually a lot better experience than I thought it was going to be. And that's me being totally honest. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to random book club podcast. We'll check you on the next one.